0: the book of John. If, if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, there's, there's Bibles under the pews. You, you're going to need to grab one because we're going to be reading enough this morning that I want you to be able to follow along. So, um, grab a Bible. John chapter 3. If you remember from last week, we were studying this man Nicodemus, and, and, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Uh, not only a Pharisee, but a leader amongst the Pharisees, part of the Sanhedrin. He, he was one in whom everybody would have esteemed him as, as one of the most religious people at that time. Um, more likely, like the Apostle Paul, he would have thought of himself as, I keep the law in its entirety. Um, he was more likely very wealthy, seem to have everything together. He comes to Jesus by night, um, more than likely not wanting anybody to to see him come to Jesus. He says to him in in chapter 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answers and says to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And from there, we studied what that meant, to be born again, what that meant as far as God doing that work in his heart to cause him to be born again, to be made alive, to be radically changed, to be made a new creation in Christ, just like He's done for all of us as Christians here this morning, He's radically changed us, taken our sin and removed it and replaced it with His righteousness and given us the Holy Spirit and made us so that we're totally changed and in, in, in the sense of being clothed with robes of righteousness in such a way that we can approach His throne boldly. Nicodemus in verse 9 says to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answers and says to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? And then we come to our text here in verse 11. most assuredly I say to you, We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will, I, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In our text this morning, we're just going to scratch the surface of the the, the first few verses of of our particular text, and we'll continue to look at it next week. But we see that Jesus gives an answer An answer to Nicodemus, you must be born again, Um, goes on to describe the way that the Holy Spirit does this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who causes this to take place in our lives as far as being born again, and it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from, where it's going, but you see the results of it. And we see what God has done in our hearts and causing us to be born again. But God graciously goes on and continues to teach Nicodemus. And he points him to a passage in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, specifically saying in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We, we look at this, and, and Christ takes us right back, takes Nicodemus right back to the Old Testament and says, do you remember when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? I want to look at that this morning and look at what Jesus' main point is in bringing up the serpent, the bronze serpent, that was lifted up in the wilderness. You remember in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, you have God's people Israel, and they're in slavery, right? They're in slavery, and, and they're in slavery to the Egyptians, and it's just brutal, all that's taking place for them. It's, it's just an incredibly hard life, what they're doing, the, the the amount of work that they have to produce, and And you see Pharaoh just add more and more work to them. And and it gets to a a place where, I mean, it's just a brutal, brutal life. Being in slavery under the Egyptians. God calls Moses. And there's this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And, And Moses is there and he sees this bush and he says, I don't know, why is it not being consumed? And God speaks to him out of the bush. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. And God says to him, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And moreover, he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And God says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters masters, for I know their sorrows. So I will come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. I'm going to take you as a people out of slavery. I see the oppression of my people. I'm going to take you to a land of of milk and honey it is going to be radically different than what you're experiencing. Moses, I'm going to use you to lead these people. And then then we watch the story of Exodus. A promise was given to Moses and then we watch God go and deliver his people. 10 plagues that come upon the Egyptians. Moses saying, Pharaoh, let my people go. You know the story. And we just look, plague after plague. I mean, just incredible plagues that come upon the Egyptians. Finally, where, where it comes to the point where the firstborn child is going to be put to death in, in, in each and every home. And unless there's that blood placed upon the doorpost, um, the angel of death would come and just take the firstborn out of every home. And we look, and we've, we've studied this in the past, that that, that the angel is to go over, and when he sees the blood on the doorpost, he's to pass over that house. A picture there of the blood of Christ that's going to be shed for us, and when God sees the blood, his judgment doesn't come upon us, but he passes over us. Well, from there, we just watch God do just an incredible work in saving his people. If you turn with me to the book of Exodus, to chapter 15 for a moment. Exodus 15. You see following the the place in history where God causes the, the Red Sea to divide. And enables his people to go through the Red Sea. And they go through the sea and they make it to the other side. The Egyptians come in with their chariots. And you see that at that time God consumes them and has the water come back over them, and destroy the enemies of God's people. It's just an incredible work as far as what God had done. God's people were there. They were pinned between the, the armies of Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and and the Red Sea. And they began complaining to Moses. And, and God just works mightily on their behalf. In the midst of all the complaints, in the midst of all of it, he opens up the Red Sea, makes them go through. They go through and... They they see God just destroy the enemy and then they just they break out in song. They just start worshiping. They see this this great deliverance that's taken place and it just brings them to a place of of singing praise. Let's look at some of it right now. In in Exodus fifteen, here's the children of Israel singing a song to the Lord all together, saying, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord's my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He's my God and I'll praise him. My father's God and I'll exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he's cast into the sea. He's chosen captains. His chosen captains also are drowned in the the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together, the floods stood upright like a heap, The depths congealed in, in the heart of the sea, and the enemy said, "I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desires shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. And you blew your wind, and the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand in the earth, swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. And, and, and we just see sing, sing praise that goes forth. They finish this song in verse 18 by saying, the the Lord shall reign forever and ever. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. You get the idea of, of these people, they start singing these songs together. And the song is just, who's like you? Who does things like you? You just, with your hand, you just consumed them all. You just blew and the waters came in upon them. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. You're all powerful. You're all powerful. You're holy. You're good. You love your people. Look at how you have done this for your people. Not only have you set us free from the slavery that we had been under, but you've taken us out and destroyed the enemy and worked miraculously to bring us to a place where we're going to the promised land. And they just sing praises to him. It's a gigantic view of who God is. Look at just a few verses further on in Exodus fifteen twenty two. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Okay, so they, they have just sung an incredible song Given him all of the glory, they go out into the wilderness. They've been there for three days. Three days. In verse 24 it says, And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? What are we going to drink? So Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he cast it into the waters, and the water, waters were made sweet. Incredible picture. There's no water for them to drink. All the water is spoiled. All the water is bad. And God says, take that tree, put it in the water, and the water is made perfect. They saw it happen. They saw water that was bad being made perfect so they could drink it. Look at Exodus 16 in verse verse 1. Just partway through there. It's giving us the journey that, that that they're going on. And... says on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So it's been a very short period of time. There in the 15th day of the second month, then the whole congregation, the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They immediately go to complaining again. They're hungry. It's just been a couple months, and they're, they're at a place where Moses and Aaron are, why did you bring us here? We... We wish that we were back under the Egyptians again. We wish that we were still in slavery when we were able to at least have meat and we were able to have bread. Forget the part of being tortured. Forget the part of having to work to where they were almost dead. They're looking just saying like, we don't have any food. What are you going to do for us? What are you going to do for us? And what happens? The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, manna. we, We just watch God... So gracious, isn't he? But I mean, it's just complaint after complaint after complaint, even though he has done incredible works for God's people. It's just complaint. Did you bring us here to die? And God just says, Give them manna. I'm going to have manna fall down from heaven. Manna falls down and they eat it and it's sweet and they love it. He gives them just enough for every day, just enough so they take enough to eat on that particular day. And yet, even in that, you see disobedience. Look at Exodus 17 in verse 1. Again, it tells us there at the end of that verse, but there was no water for the people to drink. And then, therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, And also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I'll stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out, and water will come out that the people may drink. So Moses did so in the sight of the elders. Again, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why? So we could all die here? They're ready to pick up rocks and kill Moses. They're so mad that they're thirsty that they're ready to pick up rocks and to kill them. And God just says, strike the rock. Strikes the rock and water pours forth. If you go out into our parking lot, you'll see a water feature that's there. And there within the water feature is a rock that has been split and water just comes forth out of it. It's there to be a picture of us of God's faithfulness and providing for his people. Um, And you look and, and, and you just think, God continues to show grace to them, doesn't he? Well, if you look at the book of Numbers, let's turn to the book of Numbers, to chapter 11. The book of Numbers, the entire book is written to give us the account of what's taking place in those 40 years there where God's people are in the wilderness. We're going to see this happen over and over again. In, in chapter 11, in verse 1, it says, Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So, again, the people complained. In verse 4, it says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now your whole being is, but now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. So here in Numbers eleven, we remember the fish. We remember the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlics, the garlic. And now all we have is this manna that you give us every day. That's all we have is the manna. And they complain. In Numbers 11, verse 10, it says, Then Moses heard the people weeping through their, their families, everyone at the door of his tent, And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. And Moses says to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? And why have you laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child into the land which you swore to their fathers? where am I to get meat to give all these people for they weep all over me saying give us meat that we may eat and I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me if you treat me like this please kill me here and now and if I found favor in your sight and and do not let me see my wretchedness just kill me, why? why? Why am I in charge of these people? They're at their tents and they're just weeping and they're complaining and they want meat. And there's all of these people and I can't give them meat. And they have manna, but they're complaining. They want the fish and they want the cucumbers and they want the melons. And they're just, they're ready to kill me. Just, I didn't, they're not my kids. I don't want them. They're terrible. I mean, he's looking at them. Just these people are terrible. You've done just incredible things. I mean, you are talking about him looking at it and just seeing. Okay, look at the plagues that came upon him. Look at the Red Sea; it's separated. Look at the manna. Look at the water coming forth from the rock. Look at all that God has done for these people, and they just still they want to kill me. And so Moses just gets to the place of, can you just can you put me out of my misery? Just kill me. Just kill me. I'm so tired of these people. Well, in verse 21, Moses says, The people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. And you've said, I will give them meat, that they may eat meat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? How are you going to do this? And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Um, has my arm been shortened? Has something happened to where I'm unable to do something like this? Moses, you're, you're, you're saying I got this many people, this many hundreds of thousands of people How am I going to have meat for them? There's just even all the fish. How am I going to have meat for them? And God just says, did my my arms get shorter? Can I not do this? Can I not work miraculously like this? We see God bless them with 70 men to help him. We look and we we see spies that go forward. Um, They come back and they start talking about the people and they start saying like, We can't beat them. We're like grasshoppers. They're like giants. We can't beat them. You look look at a couple men in in Numbers 13 and and 14, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua are both ones that look and say, Caleb says, let's go up at once and take possession, for we're well able to overcome them. And... They want to kill him. Joshua likewise. Let's go. The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he'll bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the Lord nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. The Lord is with us, do not fear them. Numbers 14 and verse 9. Don't do don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. And you look and... God talks about those that are not going to be able to enter in. Um, talks about his judgment coming upon them. But he says, except for Caleb. Because he had a different spirit in him. And he followed me fully. Except for Caleb. Because he, he followed me fully. He also brings up Joshua as well. We look and we see more complaining that takes place. Um, there in, in chapter 14, there's more complaining that takes place. If you turn with me to Exodus 20, we'll look at some more circumstances right before the text that deals with the bronze serpent. So in, in, in Exodus, or in, in sorry, Numbers 20, In verse 2, it says, Now there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered against Moses and Aaron. And The people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up, why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness? That we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes. Once again, speak to the rock. Don't strike it. Speak to the rock before their eyes. And it will yield its water. Thus ye shall shall bring water to them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded them. Here now, he says to them. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation of, of their animals drank. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. You didn't believe me. I said, speak to the rock, and you did not believe me. You struck the rock twice. You did not believe me. And you may look and think, well, that's harsh. I mean, Moses has put up with a lot, and so has Aaron. But God is specifically saying, I told you to speak to the rock, and you did not believe me. In your heart, you did not believe me, and so you struck the rock twice. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I've given them. You're not going to be the ones to bring them into the land. Now we come to, to Numbers 21 in verse 4. I just t- take I wanted to go through the first text so you can look. A promise was given. I'm going to take my people from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh. I'm going to take them to a land of milk and honey. And then we watch. There's these years of being in the wilderness. Years of complaining over and over and over again of complaining and complaining and being unthankful and not believing and not trusting. And looking at at what God has said and always questioning him. Why have you brought us here? Why have you brought us here? Why couldn't you leave us in Egypt? We would rather be in Egypt. We'd rather be there. We want leeks. We want onions. We want garlic. We want those things. Why did you do this? Now we come to Numbers 21, verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? So there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. And so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, and we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed to the Lord, and then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So this is the story. This is what God says. When Nicodemus is saying... What must we do? How is this possible? What do you mean we must be born again? Jesus just takes him and says, Okay, think about the bronze serpent. He's lifted up there in the wilderness. They looked upon him and they lived. And you look and you say, Why this? Why? He is pointing us to Christ and him crucified. And we'll look at that right now. This is just incredible. Here there's these people, and they're there complaining. Why? Why have you brought us here? Why have you brought us? And God just says, no. It tells us God sent fiery serpents to these people. Picture the scene. I mean, like serpents there, fiery serpents, fiery serpents, because when they bit you, it felt like fire. I've been to Africa several times, and some of the things that concern me there are the snakes. being there in, in, in some of the jungles and just going through, you these are the thoughts that go through my head, like I'm walking through, like, um, what if something bites me? I've done enough research to know there are black mambas there, green mambas, there's cobras that are there, there's these spitting vipers that will spit into your eye. They've had people where their watch gets spit on because they think that they see the shininess of the, the watch and they'll... They'll spit and, and, and spit their poison right on their watch, but they aim for people's eyes. And I, look, at wicked snakes there. If you've done any research, the black mamba, if it bites you, you, you are going to die 100% of the time unless you can get an antivenom. You are going to die. Not only are you going to die, but you are going to die within hours um, unless you can get some help. I mean, it literally just paralyzes you. It attacks your muscles. It makes it so that you're, you're no longer able to breathe. I mean, it, these things will kill you fast, and they're mean, and they're fast. Big snakes that are fast. They can go up half over half their height and get up into trees, and they just... They attack. And I look, and I, I think, okay, what would I do if I got bit by one of those things? I think about these things. They They... they they tell you, like, the first thing that you should do is is take the taser gun and, and electrocute yourself. Because they say that that might neutralize the venom. And I said, does it work? And said, well, we don't know. But people say that it, it, you should try it. And so I have my taser gun with me. And I'm, I'm just thinking, like, this is the way I'm going to go. Like, I'm going to get bitten. And I'll get bit by one of these black mambas. And then I'm just going to electrocute myself till I die. You look and you start thinking about it and you think, okay, well, what would we do? I asked Dr. Juventine, our doctor who was there, like, okay, so if a black mamba bit me, what, what should I do? And he said, get a shovel. And I'm thinking like, okay, so like, is there some kind of root? Like, what do you, like, why a shovel? And he goes, you have a certain number of hours to, to dig your grave because you are going to die. And you look and you think, what a wicked creature. I don't even know. These may have been the leftovers from these snakes that we're talking about right here. You look at the the snakes and, and they're biting people and the people are dying. It's not just, ouch, that hurt or I'm sick for a little bit. They're dying. The people of Israel are dying. And, and there's not just a few snakes. There's, there's a lot of snakes. God sent them. He sent them. And he's not sending them upon the Egyptians. He's sending them upon his people. He sends these fiery serpents... And they're biting his people, and his people are dying. And you look and you see God's judgment upon his own people. All of the complaining, and the complaining, and the complaining, and the unthankfulness. And why aren't we back in Egypt? Did you bring us out here to die? And, and they're complaining, it tells us in this particular text, against God and against Moses. There's no water. This is worthless bread. And God just says, all right. I'm going to send these fiery serpents to the people, and they're going to bite the people, and the people are going to die. And so they just start dying. You look at. It, uh, to me, it seems like just a horrific scene. I mean, like snakes. I, I, you don't get the idea, like, oh, do you see that? Do you see that one over there? Like, you get the idea. There's snakes everywhere. We're talking Indiana Jones style snakes everywhere, and they're biting the people and they're dying. The people finally. Repent, saying, we've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he'll take away the serpents from us. Pray that he'll take them away. Does he take them away? No. The Lord tells Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. Obviously, the serpent represents sin. Brothers and sisters, we have all been bitten by it. Every one of us. We've all been bitten by the poison of sin. We're all in a place where we are going to die. There, there is no dig up some root someplace so that you can heal yourself. There's no like have someone suck out the poison. There's no easy remedy as far as just hey, here's all the things that you need to do. Just try to do this, go go find this particular herb, go find something like this. There's no recipe as far as here is the medicinal way that you are able to make it so that you can live. The serpent represents sin. But God calls Moses to make a fiery serpent and to set it on a pole. So Moses makes a bronze serpent. Rather than just taking one of the serpents and setting it on a pole, he makes a serpent out of bronze. Why? Because there when we see this picture of the pole and the serpent upon the pole, and when Jesus tells us here in In John chapter 3, when he tells us, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That serpent becoming sin, or that that picture of that serpent there up on the pole, sin on the pole. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, that's a picture of me. Just as that serpent was raised on that pole, likewise I must be raised up. I must be lifted up. I must be placed upon the pole, which is the cross. There's a bronze serpent that's made. It's not actually the serpent. Why? Because Jesus became sin for us, but he was not actually sin. He represents the sin in which the sin was placed upon him, but he had no sin. We see in Scripture passages that say things like, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin and he condemned sin in the flesh. He sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh. or Galatians, That's Romans 8.3. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became a curse for us. Second Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so he makes the serpent, places it up on the pole. Likewise, Christ is there, and he becomes sin for us. And we just look at what God does here. I'm sending these fiery serpents. They're going to bite the people. The people are going to die. Without a doubt, they are going to die. The People come. What must we do? Put a serpent there up on the pole, and they need to look at him. They need to look at the serpent. All that they need to do is to look at it, and they'll be saved. you, You could picture the people there just going like, what? You've made this bronze serpent. You've put it there on a pole. I don't want to go look at that. It's not going to do anything. I want to make something. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to... What if I chop off my limb where I got bit? Or what if I have someone suck up the poison? There has to be a better way. What do you mean look at the, the serpent? Look at the bronze serpent up on the pole. I don't want to look at it. And I'll tell you, it's every religion. Every religion is what? Look to Christ? Believe upon him? That can't be enough. That can't be enough. I want to, I got to do something. I, mean, I gotta do something. I'm gonna obey the five pillars of Islam. If I do that, this should be enough. I'm i will do a two-year missions trip, and, and I'm gonna go to church. I'll do—I'll do all of those things. That'll be enough. I'm gonna try to build up good karma. I'll—I'll I'll, I'll not kill animals, and I'll be a vegetarian, and—and and I'll try to build up the best karma I possibly can. There'll be a process. There'll be reincarnation that takes place, and I'll try my hardest every time, and just get to a place where I finally earn. Nirvana or moksha I'll try try that every religion is what can I do besides look at the pole look at the serpent on the pole what can I do I want to do something and God's just saying no just look at the serpent on the pole look at it and you'll live and so those that looked at the serpent on the pole lived and Jesus goes to Nicodemus and says you must be born again you must be born again And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, have eternal life. Whoever looks at him, that picture of all the snakes coming and biting people is sin. We've all been infected upon it. Look at it in faith, look at the serpent on the pole, and you'll live. No one can enter into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua. Why? Because they believed in me fully. They followed me fully. They believed. It's faith. All of it is faith. You look at this story and and, and Jesus just takes them right to, I am going to be lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must I be lifted up. And whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. Just as there had to be somebody that got bit by a snake and they're sitting there Looking at the snake, and when they're looking at that serpent on the pole, they're looking saying, okay, my only chance to live is to look at that snake. That's my only chance. I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. The only thing I can do is look at that bronze serpent there on that pole. I need to look at it, and I need to look at it until I'm healed. And so they would stare at that bronze serpent on the pole, and all of a sudden the poison would be gone from their bodies, their wound would be healed, and they'd lived. Simply by looking at it, and Jesus says, likewise, I will be lifted up. Look at me. It's not a matter of, did I do enough works? It's a matter of, did you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you believe in him? Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the good news of the gospel, brothers and sisters. You look and Jesus takes them to, you must be born again, Nicodemus. It's not about keeping the law and being a Pharisee and being a part of the Sanhedrin. You need to be born again. You need to be radically changed. And the only way that can happen is by the Holy Spirit coming and causing you to be born again and causing you to look upon Christ and placing all of your hope fully upon Christ and him crucified. You look upon him on the post and you see he became sin for us so that I don't have to carry my sin anymore. He gives me his righteousness so that I'm not saved by the works of the law. I'm saved by faith in him. It comes as a gift. I need to look upon him. And guess what? We are bitten and we are bitten and we are bitten. And you will continue to sin this very week. And I'll tell you, the only hope for us is to look upon Christ. Till the day we die until the day we go home, we will forever look to Christ as our salvation. To look to him. We see this picture bringing us right back to you are saved by faith and by faith alone. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift of God. It is upon looking at him and looking upon him so intently as far as my only hope for salvation in this life. After being bitten by the sin of that serpent, the serpent that has been bitten me. My only hope is to look to Christ. He died on the cross and he took your sin upon himself. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It was amazing. How many times have we been the complainer, complaining, why God, why, why this, why not, why, why? I hate my journey, I hate my life, I hate all these things, why did you have this come my life? Why? And God's just looking like, what have I redeemed you from? I have saved you from everything. And God's just saying, you know what, you need to be born again. It's not about whether we are going to continue to complain. And it's not about whether we keep the law, because we're not going to. Our only hope in this life for salvation is to be born again. And the way that you are born again is by the Holy Spirit doing that work in your heart of regenerating you. All of your faith, all of your hope is in Christ and Him crucified, it is looking to Him upon the cross. And you fix your eyes on him. You don't take them off of him. You never look upon your own good works or what you've done or how often you go to church or how much you give or how many good works you do. Your only hope in this life is looking upon Christ and him crucified. That is the gospel and it is glorious. May we sing like the Israelites sung in Exodus 15, but may it be different because we are singing knowing the one in whom he has redeemed us with the very precious blood. Of Christ upon the cross. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we, love, we love your word and the way that you have worked throughout history, causing the serpents to bite those people and putting that bronze serpent there in the middle for them to look upon. Lord, we, we see later that you have them destroy that serpent because for hundreds of years they start to worship and burn incense to the serpent rather than to you may we always fix our eyes upon you and worship you, sing praises unto you, for you're the one that brings healing to us. You do that, Lord. You accomplish that in our lives. Our hope for salvation is in nothing other than faith in Christ and him crucified. For whosoever believes in you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord Jesus, please don't have anybody leave our church this morning without them having all of their hope and all their faith in you and what you've done for them on the cross. We love the gospel. We love the good news. We love that you make us alive and you give us eternal life. Even though we've been bitten, you give us eternal life. May we just fix our eyes upon you, Lord, as you hung on the cross. May we fix our eyes upon you, realizing it's at that point that you took all of the judgment that we deserved upon yourself. You became sin for us. We praise you for that. And Lord, now be glorified through the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.